Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a special edition of the Hold Up Podcast, our second grab bag episode. This is not one of our regular episodes. We won't be watching a movie. This is a bonus episode where we'll answer some listener emails, pose a few questions of our own, and go off on every tangent we possibly can, all for fun. So without further ado, welcome to the Hold Up. I'm John Longino. And I'm John Nelson. And finally, we are here, John. It happened. It's like Christmas yep. finally came. Grab Santa's bag and come and look at what goodies we got for you because Santa's, finally we're here. Santa's second grab bag. Yay. <laughs> I can't wait to open it. Christmas in summer in <laughs> the city. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yes. So uh, as we mentioned, this is a special episode where we're not going to be doing a re- our regular podcast thing. We are going to just kind of have fun and riff uh, for a little bonus bit here. Yeah. Kind of celebrate uh, almost two years of being in this here podcast business. That's right. I cannot believe we are not at each other's throats at this point. I know it's happening, though. It's going to happen oh, yeah. eventually. We'll, I have we'll, a gun under the table. Right we'll, now. we'll figure out some way to kill each other. <laughs> but before we get to the to the fun, first a little housekeeping. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, please email us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. There we will take all of your questions and we'll either read them in a regular episode or we might save them for a special episode such as this one. Where we kind of quick fire uh, knock a bunch of them out. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, you can go to our website, holduppodcast.com, and there you'll find links to all of our social media stuff Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. At pretty much everywhere you can find us at Hold Up Podcast. Yeah. Please come visit us. We have a, uh, a fun social media identity, and we love sharing it with you. I so believe you. That was with such conviction. We have, hold on, I'll tell you again. We have such a wonderful social media profile. <laughs> you should go there. Is that better? That's that's not bad. Okay. That's pretty good. Good. How about this? Uh, come to the Hold Up Podcast where you're going to have lots of uh, Red Bull and Extreme Sports <laughs> King. Come on, pussy. Come to the Hold Up Podcast. <laughs> All right. Every well, Sunday, you, Sunday. You got me there. That 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 w- I would go to that. Okay, I would definitely not <laughs> <laughs> because they say Red Bull. Yeah. Yes. The whole the whole shebang. Got it. Sweet. So uh, today, what we're going to do is, we're, first, we're going to go through a bunch of listener emails that we've been collecting. We're going to read those off, and then, time permitting, we'll see how things go. We we will. Uh, John and I have a few questions for each other. Yep. And we'll see what uh, comes up along the way, what weird uh, side roads we might take. We'll see. So anyway, uh, on we go. We are going to start with all of our listener emails. So again, that email address is holduppodcast at gmail.com. And perhaps your email could be read like this one. Our first one comes from a dear friend of mine from high school, one named Mariel. This is the one that sort of inspired us to do the grab bag. That's, so That's you know, correct. Good on you, Mariel. You uh, you hit the jackpot, Tiger. I know. I know you emailed seven years ago, and now we're finally <laughs> finally reading it. But we wanted to save it for this grab bag because we thought it would be good for this, this format. Hi, John and John. Hi. Tonight, my mom was bemoaning the nihilism especially on Twitter, which she is addicted. Well, that's your first mistake is being on Twitter in the first place. Uh, So come see us at hold up podcast at twitter.com. She was bemoaning the nihilism presented in 30 to 40 year olds. My immediate tongue in cheek response was that it's not our fault because no one cared about us. Evidenced by the kids movies we watched. 
Mid to late 80s and early 90s movies marketed towards kids seem, to my recollection, to have the following three major plot points. One, you will be abandoned, kidnapped, and or your family will die, be murdered, leave you, forget about you. (laughs) Two, you will have to fend for yourself. Three, people will be constantly attempting to murder you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely put. Yes. Granted, everything worked out in the end, but most of the movie... The characters kids were supposed to identify with were in grave mortal danger. The movies I use as example are A Land Before Time. Well, Mariel, I'm going to correct you right off the gate. It's The Land Before Time. I'll, oh, I'll just, you know. <laughs> snap. Email rejected. Next Boom. One. Moving on. No. <laughs> no. Uh, Pete's Dragon, before the time range, 1977, but was on ABC's Disney Nights at least twice a year. Brave Little Toaster, Pippi Longstocking, Oliver and Company, 101 Dalmatians, Sea Pete's Dragon's Disclaimer, 1961, <laughs> An American Tale, Homeward Bound, Home Alone, The Lion King. I'm sure I have more and more, but my mom got sleepy. <laughs> 70s babies got Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. 80s babies got cats as Nazis. <laughs> I would love to know if any of the movies listed above play out plot-wise as I remember. My mom agreed that these were all actually solid movies, but dark. Disclaimer, my mom loves animated movies, so keep that in mind. I'd love to hear what you both think. Friend and listener, Mariel. Well, thank you, Mariel. That's She raises a fair point, that, and we kind of touched on this a bit uh, in our double-featured month of child trauma. Yeah. The, the sort of uh, way, although it's interesting because Mariel uh, mentions that the 80s was when children's films were traumatic. I think, uh, but I th- we can even point to many earlier childhood. Yeah, movies obviously, also traumatic. Going back to even World War Two, we, uh, as we pointed out with Bambi, there was that sense of parental abandonment. Starting, with, but I think it started in in those movies with the dads. The dads started peeling off, and then yes. by the eighties, both parents had peeled off. And I think there's something actually to that because, like, if you look at like starting, especially with like horror movies, was what I was sort of my mind went to. She's kind of talking about animated movies, but horror movies starting with like the Blob in the sixties, sure. with like Steve McQueen and his little band of of rebels or whatever um parents become either well adults largely but parents specifically become absent completely doltish to the point of interference or uh or, or fatally interfering but the kids are the good guys and obviously the only people who know what's going on and i think that actually you know the the child endangerment kind of comes with the horror movie thing but if you're talking about like home alone or even like john hughes movies where adults are largely absent where like kids get into trouble like racing cars all over the place or cutting school or whatever the, yeah the parents are definitely um abandoning their kids and now we're sort of seeing i think movies where the parents uh the kids who grew up under that parental parental lack are coming back and saying no we were good parents because parents nowadays i think enjoy a little bit less um stupidity <laughs> oh certainly um i can't think of a movie it, offhand it's almost like hard the other way where it's right. almost like over parenting nowadays i'd say well even like i mean most i would say most animated movies it's since they're based on fairy oh, tales, oh, you're, you're talking about in movies. I was talking about just in life. Well, I, I well definitely in life. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely in life. I think there is an actual, uh, you know, coming back around of like we, you know, both parents should uh, pay attention to their kids. Um, cause all what of our, kind of bullshit? Yeah. 
Well, you know, because all of our friends' parents were divorced and we saw which way the wind was if blowing. If my daughter isn't behind my back meeting an alien and going off on some amazing <laughs> adventure and saving the world unbeknownst to me, then I have failed as a parent. That's probably... E.T. Good way. Exactly. All Spielberg movies probably count as, as that because talk about like Absolutely. parental abandonment. I mean, he wrote the book on like... Well, that's, that's the thing. I bring up E.T. because uh, Mariel sort of has this memory of it of like, oh, it's the 80s and 90s when this trauma was... And she even, in, in some of her examples, brings up movies prior to that. And, and I think the reason people point to the 80s so much is like, this is when this started. Right. Is not necessarily because that's when it started. That's when it sort of got commoditized and monetized and sort of factoried out. Right. So E.T. happened. And then now that's a thing, right? Like, it's just, okay, the kids and they're doing it without the parents and they're running off on misadventures and stuff. Like, I, I feel like the 80s sort of popularized many concepts. One of which was sort of the adventure movie for everybody, the kind right. of summer blockbuster. And then because children were sort of like advertised to beginning in the 80s, I mean, certainly before that, but like really hard in the 80s and 90s, I think that's when you see these, this concept of kids movies and and sort of parental neglect, I guess, or like an adventure without the parents. Right. Well, what's funny is she bring. I mean, most of the movies on this list I actually haven't seen, but Home Alone is like, we just showed that over the holidays <laughs> to our daughter. And it, I, I mean, on the one hand, I was like, well, this is obviously a movie and it's kind of cartoony and you can sort of take it in that spirit and it's fine. But if you give it any sort of realistic credence and it's like it's horrifying because this kid really is abused i mean he's not i mean not only is he left behind and forgotten which is awful to start with but like he's abused even before that i mean he's kind of a dick but you know <laughs> the parents still have a responsibility to raise their dick Certainly. kid and they don't really do a good job of it as it keeps happening in movie after movie also but like <laughs> yeah not to mention they did it twice like. yeah i mean yeah so somehow i mean home alone though it's almost part of the gag that you know the parents aren't on the ball right. so i mean at least the movie sort of points to it and, and laughs at that point but it really is like i don't think it was that unique an attitude i don't think if you you know go back to the 80s and talk about movies like that people would be saying oh yeah i don't want to show that movie to my kids because i don't want them to see a negative <laughs> like yeah. my parents were very big on that by the way like the, the the stupid adult they made a big like to do about like i don't like that movie. i hate that movie because it makes parents look stupid and that was most movies I enjoyed, so I couldn't <laughs> take it that seriously. But <laughs> but if you think of movies like The Karate Kid, for example, that's what comes to mind. Because I sure. de defended that one to my parents where it's like... That is a pretty attentive mother. You know? it's, a, it's a very attentive mother, and it sort of stands out in contrast. Because she's a single mom, which is not right. unique in that time. But she's a single mom who's actually not working so hard that she can't figure out, oh, my kid's getting the shit kicked out of him on the regular. What can I do about it? But that movie stands out because most movies with bullies in them, the parents are just like... Bleh. Man up. Yeah, toughen up. Who cares? Uh, well, maybe to wrap up this email, we should go through. She listed many movies here. So I say we just go down the list one by one and we give sort of our thoughts on them at, in, in the context of what she's talking about, which Sounds is sort good. of, sort of uh, trauma from the 80s and 90s. Right. Uh, so the first one she mentions is A Land Before Time. A movie I have not seen. You haven't seen it? Oh, Sorry. okay. Well, the Cliff's Notes is it's it's act, they just sort of crib Bambi. There's a there's a, a, <laughs> a lot of movies doing that lately, huh? <laughs> there's a brontosaurus with a mother who passes away. Oh, okay. And then, but the thing about this is it happens really early on in the movie, and then he's left to kind of go find this uh, kind of promised land. It's sort of like all um, like uh, plants and trees and green life are kind of dying away. 
And oh, okay. they t- keep talking about this special place that had a name that people are going to kick me in the teeth because I forgot. But it's, Is it the it, Savage Land from the X-Men? It might as well be, frankly. <laughs> it, it's like the magic place or, or the, I don't know. We Heaven. We should watch that at some point. Do but they, they go to a farm where they're all going <laughs> to live forever? But she keeps talking about this sort of green land that's like, she, she basically gives him a quest. Like, oh, we need to find this thing and then passes away. Got it. And so it's a little kid dinosaur with other little kid dinosaurs on kind of like a homeworm boundy sort of adventure to find this location. Right. Um, I I remember loving it as a kid. I haven't seen it in many years, but it certainly fits uh, this theme of, of loss. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you can divide it up into two categories then just hearing about it. Cause like, Bambi and it sounds like this movie it's like the parents don't do it on purpose they abandon them because of you know they get killed that's yeah that I think is like that that speaks to one sort of aspect it's to me the more interesting ones it's like well the parents just aren't there willingly right is the more like that's the more traumatizing one to me because on the one hand it's like well if you lose your mom it's sad and if your protector is gone then that's a hard life but at least there's a reason why the parents abandoning it, it's like, well, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> so. I, I will say the examples Mariel raises are far more in the sort of loss uh, category where she, you know, so, somewhat abandonment, but mainly like die murder. There is this like this sort of tendency for a tragedy to befall your family and then you have to kind of. Right. Move on. Well, I'm guessing that that's maybe more toward the the younger set of kids, like the, the, the under tween ones. Because the teenager ones, though, tend to be like the horror movies and stuff where the parents are just like, I'm too busy working or fucking or drinking or whatever. <laughs> and it's like it, it makes more sense because the teenager sees their parents as being stupid. No. So I can see the loss being more necessary in a younger movie because it's like, well, we have to explain why mommy's not around. Uh, for some reason, the one that always pops in my head is the first Ewok movie, <laughs> which is, I think, like Caravan of Courage. That has one where, a, a, actually, honestly, the second Ewok movie has this too, but they're the same fucking movie, basically, where but where it's a kid that like loses their family and they're lost on indoor, right? And oh, the Ewoks have to like roll in and babysit, and basically like take over. <laughs> Jeez. And, uh, uh, you know, that that's sort of the way it goes. Um, the other movies she's mentions are Pete's Dragon, which I don't actually recall. I've seen it Ugh. when I was a kid, but I don't remember the tragedy that happens in Pete's Dragon. I well, remember Mickey Rooney's like drunk in it. I, I, I don't remember the tragedy either because we tried to watch it. And that movie is fucking boring, dude. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's well, the real trauma. I guess my daughter had just seen the remake of Pete's Dragon. I haven't seen the remake, um, but they, we wanted to say, oh, well, so let's show her the original. See if she's uh, interested in that could not have cared less and i didn't blame her because it's like what come on this is so slow and it's like a two plus hour movie and it's just like got it lord in heaven i mean they were trying to show off the mix of animation and live action but it just sort of didn't work out um so i don't know what tragedy she's referring to there except that the kid is i believe an orphan Nah, okay, that's probably perhaps. I, I mean, again, I couldn't really follow um, it because I was falling asleep. She brings up Brave Little Toaster. I have not seen that. One. I have not seen that. Sorry. All right, sorry. Moving on. Pippi Boop. Longstocking. I haven't seen that one. Nor me. Okay, next one. Amazing. <laughs> um, Oliver and Company. I, I remember that. That that's sort of an animal version of Oliver Twist. Right, which is again orphans. Yeah. Which so, I mean, that's dating back to like the 1800s. So that that where it made more sense that parents would abandon you due to death and poverty. <laughs> <laughs> so at least there's a, a start there yep 101 dalmatians um is that the does the dalmatians lose their mother or something i don't um well they kidnap the puppies but that one it's like uh there's not a sense oh they're they're sort of taken from their family yeah the the puppies yeah cruella takes the puppies and the parents make a very active effort to seek them out so i don't actually think this fits the 
the abandonment idea because the it's well it's, she she mentions abandoned or kidnapped so well, this I guess, certainly would fall under kidnap well I, I guess but I, I would argue then that there's uh, child kidnapping in every era <laughs> <laughs> and, and there always will be uh, um, an American tale okay this one really rings to me this was kind of I don't know how much American tale means I, to you I don't remember it that much yeah. I only saw it once so I was a kid when this movie came out so I've seen it many times but that one is very traumatic that's Fievel the, the mouse right separated from his family and he's lost in New York and horribly malicious evil cat people are like taking advantage of them. Right. That's a whole like I, I've lost my family and I need to find them. That's movie. where the Nazi cats come from, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's during the depression exactly. or something like that. Um, that. But that even has a whole song that like somewhere out there, you right. know, like thinking of your family. I, I remember that one. Um, Homeward Bound, I actually sort of mentioned that a bit earlier, but th there's uh, two versions of that, right? There's, well, like, there's the cat and dog version, right? There's the Incredible Journey, which is which was like the original like 60s movie, Disney okay. movie, and then there's Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, which is like a 90s remake of it. But that's like a dog, two dogs and a cat okay. get lost from their owners and have to sort of venture back. But they, they sort of dub their voices. I think they speak as if they're right. like people. There's a lot of those kind of... There were a lot of those movies in the 70s, actually, like animals separated from their owners. And, you know, was, those were like Bingo and Boomer movies. They all had a dog <laughs> with a B name, and uh, they were always separated from their families, and the whole, like, plot is them getting back Gotta together. Get back. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have the voices. I believe that they just, like... They were almost like silent films where the dog would just, like, cross streets, and the only dialogue you got was a human going, Hey there, puppy! You want to come <laughs> live with me? No, you have a family? Okay, bye! <laughs> See ya! <laughs> Mickey Rooney shows up for his cameo of the week, and... <laughs> Somehow he appears in all these movies. It's yep. strange. Uh, Home Alone we discussed, and then the final one is The Lion King, which, yes, I'd say for 90s kids. Is, I mean, right. it's just... It's Hamlet. Uh, and Bambi. And Bambi. As yeah. we discussed. Uh, Bambi. <laughs> But again, that was I. We made the point that like the family is much more um, solid before tragedy strikes. I was about to say earlier that like animated movies, they all kind of start from fairy tale basis. Um, so like fairy tales almost always have a single parent because there's always like that's right. You know, a father it's a Cinderella thing. Yeah, you know? like a, a evil stepmother. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the the good parent dies and a step parent shows right. up. Because that, that's a great point. Like Grimm's fairy tales is probably the origin of like all the shit. You got yeah. like Hansel and Gretel lost in the woods. And, oh, yeah. was that a Hans Christian Anderson one? Ah, whatever. It's all the same Either shit. Way, but like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you got kids with a witch gonna eat them, and you know, like animals killing grandmas and in, in hiding in beds. <laughs> that's right. Like it's a tale as old as time, really. Right. And that was oh yeah, Little Red Riding Hood. It's just like, hey, take this to your grandma. Where should I go? Well, through those dark woods where kids get kidnapped <laughs> and eaten by animals. Also, <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eaten by a wolf, and by you're eaten too, and then someone hacks the wolf up to pull you out of him, and like, oh, and yeah, and that's uh, yeah, talk about rough. It's like depending on what version you hear, it's like, well, either the wolf just gets straight up butchered for his sins, <laughs> or he gets rocks put into his stomach and sewn up and put back in the woods. It's like, go, yeah, go fuck off there. It has to carry around a load of rocks. I'm like, well. I mean, his nature is to eat people. That seems kind of <laughs> Well, mean. there's one thing to eat people. It's another thing to this subterfuge of putting on old lady glasses and a bonnet and getting... That, hey, like, man. That's pretty premeditated. The wolf is following his nature. It's he, not his fault. He had it coming. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you, Muriel, for your email. Yeah, that um, was a great uh, concept. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, John, what we got next? We have got uh, a longtime listener, third-time writer in Robin. Hi, Robin. Dear John's. 
Does Saturday Night Live need conservative targets to motivate them and pull it out of the periodic, rudderless doldrums they seem to find themselves in? If so, what does that mean for the show's long-term prospects for survival? Uh, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in like 20 years, so <laughs> to me, it's like, I mean, I, I see the clips that are funny that people like, but like sit down and actually watch an episode, I haven't done it decades at this point so to me that show's already like dead and gone already dead. Yeah. <laughs> totally. like, hate, hate to be rude but like i know people really like it but to me it's sort of like i don't care that much about snl uh i i have come and gone on saturday night live i do think there is um there is a basis for this question i do think they get better when they have targets and i think it just so happens every four years uh conservatives provide excellent targets i i, I if you were to ask me personally i think tina fey absolutely influenced the obama election the initial obama election with her portrayal of sarah palin and i think the history book should uh make a note of that but um yeah i do think well it's one of the yeah for a show that requires sort of uh a a target when the target is always shifting and moving like right now they're great and they may be great for four years because they have a lot of ammunition (laughs) a lot of material a lot of material and they tend to whenever there is i mean there whenever there is a conservative president or a conservative you know movement or whatever they tend to really light up and go ah finally there's because when obama was in office it's like well what are we going to complain about so, yes, I kind of agree. I do think it is a weakness of the show if when whenever a liberal shows up and, and takes the reins that you have nothing funny to say about them, I think you're not really working hard enough, if, truth be told. Um, but, yeah, I think there's... I mean, if you're a largely liberal cast and liberal writers it makes sense that when somebody you dislike takes the reins of power that you would have something to say about it fire yeah Yeah, i mean i think that's just human nature i I guess what that says is they should either uh, get more right-wing writers when uh, (laughs) the when the liberals take power or just not (laughs) or just assume that they're going to have a few years of uh, mediocre but the thing is when they're mediocre they're really mediocre oh absolutely to me snl is a mediocre sandwich like it's just never not (laughs) mediocre like there's occasionally like a little bite that you're like oh it's pretty good and then you have the next bite you're like oh this is this is not good does snl hold up no it does not (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm being like really harsh but i just like i don't know i watched in the 90s and that was it so the 90s well that's actually when i watched so i don't know what i'm poo-pooing all right now that the film industry prioritizes ticket sales in china and india so highly what are your thoughts on self-censorship and making creative choices based on implications for international appeal did you get all that i did um, I, that's a that's a really interesting question because more and more do I f- I find that these big action movies have to go to China for some reason like the Transformers just suddenly have to go to the Chinese factory or <laughs> right. whatever's going on. Um, I, I I think that's an interesting point and certainly censorship is something to worry about. I would sort of counter with the idea that any movie that has a big box office draw that's looking to cash in on China as a means of profit probably doesn't have a lot to say <laughs> in need of censoring that like matters yeah, like, <laughs> that's like, true to me a biting political commentary film is not worried about the chinese market or even ones that have slight you know lines like that i i to me i feel like the sort of middle of the road movie that's both uh, a big box office appeal and like intellectually appealing enough to have something of worth to say is like Haley's comet at this point <laughs> <laughs> well she does have a second part of this question and maybe this will help you okay. uh 
contextualize. I recently watched the interview, the Seth Rogen oh, sure, sure. Uh, uh, movie, on TV for the first time and can only imagine how China would react today to a film about North Korea. Well, I think, I mean, they sort of reacted at the time. I mean, it was, it, that movie was highly controversial. That was sure. like a, a... Oh, there was a reaction <laughs> to the interview. I, right. I think uh, hackers got involved. It yeah, was, I mean, it was there a was, whole thing. There like, was a lot of... Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, that's not China. That was North Korea, but... I right. Mean, I mean, that was a political hot potato. So, I, I think that kind of a movie, though, is not really subject to the same, like... I don't know. The, the the things that movie studios market to China usually aren't comedies. Comedies don't travel well. Right. So they so don't... It's always like uh, action movies and superhero movies. And yeah. Stuff. So they don't yeah. tend to uh, put a lot of limitations on the comedies because they know the comedies are going to either make it in America and English-speaking countries or they're not going to. So I think the China stuff is mostly like Mission Impossibles and Transformers right. and, you know, all the stuff that, like, you could very easily turn off the dialogue and still have more <laughs> or less the same movie, which... Maybe says something about, like John says, you know, the the quality of the movie you're watching. I mean, maybe not, but yeah. Well, when's the last, like, really profitable, big-ass summer action movie that had something to say behind it besides give me some money? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, like, I don't well, know. I'm trying to think. Like, I, I, I mean, mean, maybe... I don't know. I mean, even something like Star Wars, which obviously isn't a summer movie, but like Force Awakens or those movies, they, they're kind of... I mean, even, uh, you know, even Rogue One or something is, right. is a little more biting uh, politically, but that's all I can think of. And also, th those are protected by that classic. That's the thing about horror movies and sci-fi movies is you can kind of mask political commentary and, and, and political things in, like, the... the, the setting of the movie right so you know guardians of the galaxy doesn't have to concern himself with the state of china <laughs> they're too busy dealing with the world and so I, honestly i think that's the answer right is is more allegory because that, right. that's why it's there that's why you can kind of get away with it yeah and i feel like these movies if they're saying anything at this moment in time there's plenty to say about what's happening home in america that <laughs> yeah the chinese probably either don't care about or if they do care about it's just window dressing to the you know to the explosions and the cgi so i think there's things they can get away with in the movies that they're trying to get away with i don't think they're getting censored so much it's just that you know if you came into a studio and said hey i want to do a political hour allegory about the uh, situation in china via a sci-fi movie you would probably be met with looks of like well can we do a sci-fi movie in china without the allegory and you'd say yes i want money and then sure. the end and then everybody would be happy yeah i i think generally the point the the point i'd want to make the kind of more briefer version of it is that films that are concerned with the chinese market and appealing to them and making a lot of money from them are generally not as concerned with um stuff that you would need to censor yeah that's what I, that's what i think and i mean as far as prioritizing ticket sales to china it's like well i mean if americans would go to the movie more then they could <laughs> right. they, yeah then they could demand more uh, american stuff for their movies but it's like if you're not going to pay for the tickets and shut up i guess i don't know that being said i you know censorship i do not like i would like things to say whatever the hell they want and right. i hate for people to check their voice because they're worried about a foreign market or sure. something but, but do you think michael bay is checking his voice in no. transformers yeah no. so i mean <laughs> oh, wouldn't it, whenever michael bay has something political to say i don't necessarily care to hear it <laughs> that's true he does get to say what he wants in other movies uh okay so last question from robin i would have loved to be a fly on the wall while you guys were watching twister Ever consider doing a riff track slash MST3K style offshoot podcast for movies you remember unfondly? 
Thank you, Robin. Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, like sort of a, a like now hit play and here we go. We watch the movie. Yeah. And- there are, it's not just riff tracks. I've seen other podcasts that are like that. Right. That, uh, there's like people watching a movie and you're meant to listen to them while you while they watch it. Yeah. I mean, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, folks, I, the jokes that we make during the watching process of these films, uh, it's usually not as uh, sharp or incisive as MST3K. We usually right. are... We're also like paying attention to the movie. Yeah, there's, there would be long silences and pauses. <laughs> and, you know, we sometimes make jokes and or, you know, in the case of Twister, we often make jokes. But, I, you know, there's a lot of times we're also saying, oh, hey, remember that joke for when we're recording? Or, hey, did right. you know? There's a lot of me saying, hey, did you know as I read the trivia? And, oh, look, there's that guy. <laughs> and, you know, it's... Well, I think she's talking about doing a special case of, like, doing a bad movie and making fun of it. I I, I, I think, mean, I guess we could. I certainly like the concept. And there are other people that do do that that, that are pretty great. But, like, uh, I, I would feel a pressure, to, much like Mr. Science Theater or Riff Tracks, if we were meant to entertain with it, I would yeah. want to, like come up with jokes beforehand yeah we have to watch you know, it beforehand and then which sort of defeats our own yeah, purpose i think the raw off the cuff us just improvising w- would not be worth you listening to, <laughs> to yeah. be honest and yeah and unfortunately for us there's uh, lots of other people who do it a lot better so you know we've sort of be dipping our toes in where we are uh really not needed <laughs> but i appreciate the thought and I, I you know it, it makes it sound like we have a just a hilarious time while we're watching the film and maybe uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, thank you for the letter, Robin. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, our next email comes in from our dear friend Wes. Hi, Wes. He says, hola, guys. I've been trying to catch up recently and have really enjoyed it. I love your take on Napoleon Dynamite and Twister, which I almost want to revisit just to see Philip Seymour Hoffman, just because I like your impression of him. The suck zone. Suck zone. <laughs> that was entirely your invention, John, by the way. The <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman weird, like, John Molester Philip Seymour Hoffman. I just love Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, though. That was, that was a gem. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed speaking we, of great <laughs> We should do another Philip Seymour Hoffman just so I can bust that one out again. <laughs> that was actually, going back to Robin's email briefly, that was something that came out of us watching the movie. Like, you started, we just started doing that while we were watching the right, movie. Right, just riffing on every and time it, Philip Seymour yeah, Hoffman came in. And it carried over into the podcast, which was great. Uh, he says, I will have to disagree with you on Austin Powers, though. Ugh. It's still funny. Uh. When my youngest was a newborn, I got up late one night to feed him and turn on HBO. The first Austin Powers was on. I sat there and watched almost the whole thing. I laughed out loud many times and even woke the baby once. I still quoted. Well, I would... I have a theory that you were exhausted. I know. I was about to say. <laughs> if you <laughs> just had a new baby. information in this email. Because uh, one is my youngest was a newborn and I got up late <laughs> one night and turned on HBO, I think answers everything. But <laughs> why you like the movie. Uh, he says, and your take on Rob Zombie's Halloween was great, too. It's a weird movie that I say I like the middle of. From when young Mikey is in the mental hospital to the best scene with Ken Foray, the truck driver, in the bathroom. Yeah. How many movies can you say that about? (laughs) I'm more with John in on this one, though. It really doesn't get better with age, but you can really appreciate all that went into it. Sets, design, costumes, etc. Will you ever watch and reevaluate Rob Zombie's Halloween 2? I think it will likely be better than the first Rob Zombie Halloween. I know I'm in the minority. It was totally new ground for Michael Myers. I know we will not be doing that. <laughs> well, I we won't also. <laughs> we also won't because after John and I recorded the Halloween podcast, I actually went and listened to 
the Rob Zombie commentary on Halloween 2, which meant that I sort of watched the movie along with it. And now I have to kind of agree with John on this. I like the style. I, I love Rob Zombie's style, but that second movie was a mess. And to listen to him, he hated making it, too. So it's like, so now I dislike it even more because it's like, well, if he doesn't care, why should I? So I'm glad someone got some joy out of Halloween 2, Rob <laughs> Zombie's version. <laughs> I was not that person. Well, I, I will say at least it's still better than Halloween Resurrection. That I, is absolutely not. I said it. Halloween Resurrection, the second best Halloween film. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Uh, here are some suggestions for future episodes. So here, we'll just go down this list and give a quick, uh, well, I, we'll see. Well, I guess we'll see whether it could be an episode. Yeah, we'll find out. Or Hold if on. not, why not? Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Well, that, that would qualify for me. Oh, you liked it? I did like it. Okay. Well, then it qualifies because I didn't like it. Okay. So yeah, we might do that one. Pink Flamingos. I hated this when I first saw it, but I'd like to give it another chance. I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. Wow. Oh. Neither. My John Waters knowledge is, is severely lacking. Yeah. I have a very poor track record with John Waters movies. Yep. Sorry about that. Wes. Sorry, Wes. Uh, the Messenger? We I, talk assu I assume he means the Joan of Arc movie, The Messenger? Yeah. The, uh, what's his name? The guy who did the... the was it Luke Besson? Luke Besson, yeah. yeah. Um, I I didn't like it when I first saw it. So I, it was fine. I it I, I wouldn't I didn't say hate I, it. I didn't just hate like it either. There, but yeah. yeah, it was not his best. He, that was on his downward trajectory. Yeah. I don't know if maybe. Um, being John Malkovich, that would certainly qualify. I would Definitely. imagine that will. The only caveat would be I think that movie's so fucking good that <laughs> that might be in the realm of like we don't necessarily have to because yeah. we know it's good. That might be one we do later down the road, though. I wouldn't mind. I would like to rewatch that, and it would be fun to do it, you know, on this show. But we, I feel like we'd get very serious about it, yeah, <laughs> because it's like, oh my god, that movie's so good. It was great. Uh, the Freshman Fifteen guys spoke of it as uh, they did, and they of, did a very good. They did a very good episode on that one. Yep. Uh, the Mummy, the Bringen Fraser one, the first DVD I ever owned. I watched it a lot and remember loving it. Um, uh, I think the mummy sucks. <laughs> like, not to, sorry, Wes, to just be blunt, but I think Brendan Fraser mummy is like hot trash. I, I think there was something about I, I admired that it had a goofy kind of style to it, but admiring its style did not make that movie better. There you go. So, so no, I, no, thank you. I <laughs> no. mean, I wouldn't mind watching it to tear it apart, but that's not really our mission statement. I mean, it's <laughs> it's no Scorpion King. We'll just put it that way. There is there any movie better than the Scorpion no, King? Not. It's the greatest film ever made. Well, actually, I would say most movies yeah. are better than the Scorpion <laughs> King. I think even Dwayne yes. Johnson would agree. There's no, Scorpion Scar King's terrible. Um, the Matrix, same here. One of the first DVDs I ever owned. Um, I, I actually saw The Matrix fairly recently, and uh, okay. I can say that it, it, it holds up. I would be interested to see that one again, but if you've seen it recently, then I, there's, I there's no use to it. The Matrix. <laughs> I, and I can't say the same for its sequel films. Uh, uh, those did weren't even good when they first came out. Yeah, no. Um, but th that I actually think The Matrix holds up better than you might believe because it was sort of tainted by those sequels. Interesting. So you sort of left with like, oh, The Matrix kind of sucks. And then you watch that first movie again. You're like, oh, oh, right. This movie's like <laughs> fucking great. You know, right. Uh, I, I love the Matrix. Bottle Rocket. Love Wes Anderson films. But this one really never did it for me. Well, I'm sorry, Wes. It definitely did it for me. And, and I love Bottle Rocket. But that would qualify. That I would think. qualify for me. I liked it when I first. I, I, I liked other Wes Anderson movies better. But I, this one was charming to me. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin Smith films. <laughs> Here's my idea. Put the titles of his first five films into a hat. 
Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogman, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and draw one out, and that's what you watched. I love all those, but haven't seen any of them in at least 15 years. I'm willing to bet you both have seen all of these and haven't seen them in a while. I would think that John L. might have liked them more back then, but he might hate them more if he watched them now. (laughs) Well, first off, before we even talk about these movies, I love that idea of just taking a director's oeuvre and putting it in a hat and then just picking one. We might have to crib the hat idea. That is a great idea. I would actually I would I wouldn't mind doing it for Kevin Smith films, but you go ahead and tell me what what you think well, about I, these. I, I think it's a great concept. My only um, worry with these films, with Kevin, especially early Kevin Smith, like the five films he's picked out, I would say I know them far too well mm. and have seen them way too many times to sort of have that vague like. Did this happen? Did that happen? I don't know. Was it good? Was it not? I've right. seen them all f- also far more recently. We did a uh, when back when I did Cinemarathon, oh. uh, maybe like three, four, maybe five years ago. I, I watched every one of these movies. Got it. So, so, uh, so I, I, I actually think a lot of them hold up better than you might think. Um, I have a lot of nostalgia for Kevin Smith. So, I think so, Chasing Amy is the best of this bunch. Okay, dude. yeah, I was going to say, like, little mini hold up. Which one of these is your favorite? Which is your least favorite? Uh, Chasing Amy is certainly the best. Right. Um, I would say, I mean, I like them all for different reasons. I would say that with a caveat, so I'd say Mall Rats is probably the either. Well, Jan, honestly, Jan saw Bob's right back is probably the worst of this bunch in yeah. terms of just being a movie. Right. But I like how unapologetically just like ridiculously shitty that movie is. Like it just, <laughs> it makes no bones about like this movie is stupid as fuck. Right. Whereas Mall Rats is actually attempting to be like a good movie. And is failing except for Jason Lee. He's like the only, and maybe you could, Michael uh, Rooker, you could probably make a case for. Right. But J- Jason Lee is like, Mallrats is a phenomenal one man show. <laughs> <laughs> like, and maybe like Jay, you know, Jay and Saw Bob for a hot minute, but but Jason Lee is like um, unbelievably good in Mallrats, and everyone else is like, actively bad <laughs> like actively bad i i agree with you about mall rats it would probably be number five out of five on this list however the caveat on that one is if we watched it with the commentary of all the because yes. they had a huge commentary with their, <laughs> yeah that is actually the funniest kevin smith film <laughs> the commentary for mall rats is it's ben pretty, affleck pretty just good. fucking with everybody hilarious that oh, yes. so that is that um dogma i have something to say about too i haven't seen it in a while i remember i really wanted to see that movie because i had read the script and the script was really funny mm-hmm. and then i saw the movie and realized oh yes a good writer needs a good director to pull this off because the writing was brought down by the terrible directing Uh, and i think uh what was a wonderful movie uh, a wonderful idea for a movie got uh cracked in half by his poor directing i mean dogma is very flawed i would say that the ben affleck mac damon bits of dogma are still as great like that part of the movie is great yeah, there's a lot um, of Alan Rickman's great in that Alan movie. Alan Rickman's great, but th- there's a lot of problems, too. Yeah. Like, that movie's not the best. Uh, and now for a pointless question for grab bag purposes. Indeed, here we are. Here it is. Which do you prefer, bacon or ham? And not just deli sliced ham, but full on country ham. Ooh, country oh, ham is good. That's right. The Southern in me is, is having a little tear for the lack of country ham in Southern California, I gotta say. <laughs> Uh, bacon. Bacon. I mean, I hey man, I love country ham. Don't get me wrong. Ham's great. But- you, you put country ham in front of me, I'm eating the shit out of it. With a biscuit, it's great. <laughs> but if next to that country ham is bacon, I will be having the bacon. <laughs> yeah, I like bacon. I'm not going to give it up for no country ham. Bacon might be the greatest tasting thing <laughs> in the history of time. Like, is there something better than bacon? Pie. Bacon pie. Well, there you go. 
sounds really good. <laughs> Mystery or uh, yeah, problem solved. Excellent. All right, that's the wow. That's the quickest we've come to a consensus on anything. <laughs> Thanks and keep it up. Well, thank you, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Always good to hear from you. All right, our next one comes from Greg, who is a friend of mine. Everybody, I know him. Don't worry. We're not having anybody on this show that we've never heard from. <laughs> uh, Dear Johns, your podcast, The Great Holdup, is utter pants. I think that's good. I believe that's slang for good. I honestly don't know, and I'm I, not even joking. Like, uh, it's pants. I think I think that's a British. Uh, oh, is it a okay. British slang? I finally got around to listening to a single episode, the Napoleon Dynamite episode, and I couldn't believe how completely off the mark two dudes could be. This movie is the worst piece of crap to make its way into theaters during the early 2000s. Even the theater I saw it in was worse for having shown it. It's completely, absolutely not funny. It's like cursed. <laughs> and I can't believe you would sacrifice your credibility to support this garbage. Even though I find myself being highly amused by your banter, your opinions are ridiculous and you should be ashamed. That being said, I also caught your pump up the volume episode and I have to say, you guys get it. Pump Up the Volume is an absolute <laughs> classic, a masterpiece of 90s teen angst, and I'm impressed with your ability to see past any datedness and see the masterwork that it is. Hard Harry for life. Also, your Hitcher episode was pretty good, too. Even though I haven't seen the Hitcher in about 20 years, I can only assume your assessments are accurate. They sounded as such. Excellent work, gentlemen. Give yourself a pat on the back. I guess I'm also on board with your Halloween episode. That movie blows on second viewing, even though the first time somehow was a revelation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but see, the first time he loved it, uh, so well, that gets he, you to bat. Hey, we all are wrong sometimes. My point is, get out of the podcast business. You guys are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to hearing what's next, but I refuse to listen to the Austin Powers episode because fuck that movie. Greg, <laughs> thank you for the consistent, you, uh, well uh, thought out opinions. I don't even know if we necessarily have to comment. I mean, oh, that, I, was, yeah. that was more like he he just had a little manifesto. <laughs> had to read. That that was perfect. That, I don't we disagree need, with anything he said. I think you know? we need more letters like that, putting us in our place, telling us what's what. <laughs> uh, I think that's a beautiful. I mean, this sounds crazy coming from someone who is very full of himself and office constantly says things are wrong. But I think one of the beautiful things about people is that uh, opinions can be different about different things. Some one person can love a movie and one person can hate a movie, and that's okay. Even though sometimes I'll act like it's not, <laughs> it is in fact okay. A rare moment of uh, honesty from John Longino, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and uh, just to let you out, that's uh, the end of the emails, and now we'll get into some uh, generic questions. But Oh, we do have one a little, little stub of a question. Yes, we, well, we got uh, one on Facebook. Yes. Um, this one comes to us from Mia. How about, what's your favorite female-led movies slash TV shows? Oh, good question. That's good a question. great question, actually. Uh, as, as the uh, father of a, a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, this is something that I, I've always been concerned with, and I've always kind of considered myself a feminist, but it, it's become quite acute <laughs> upon having a daughter that you become far more aware of, like, huh, wow, there's really, you know, not a lot here for oh, hey, women at all. There, there's a woman who's a hooker in this movie. Yeah, oh, great. How different. Um, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, actually, um, and I'm, I'm very concerned with. Uh, my just off the cuff immediate just popped into my brain answers, especially since she said TV shows was Veronica Mars. Oh, that's I a good one. Love like that's a great, great TV show with a very strong female lead. Right. Um, I would uh, if you're gonna go way back. I would. Uh, there's a couple that popped into my mind. 
Uh, Sarah Connor, of course, from the Terminator series, the, the original Sarah Connor, not the continually evolution, the continual evolution of uh, Sarah Connor <laughs> into super badass for no good reason. Sarah it wasn't Connor, Khaleesi Connor, that wasn't yeah, Khaleesi Connor. I mean, I mean, tangent. I like the Terminator series. It's to me like the modern Planet of the Apes series, where like every movie, they're like, let's. Try something just wacky different. Like, okay, Sarah Connor turns hey, out to be a badass. Those, uh, those recent Planet Apes movies are not so bad. Oh, they're pretty good. They're but pretty there was, I'm talking about the 60s, yes, 70s yes, ones so. where they like went down a rabbit hole of weirdness. But we digress. But we digress. Um, I would also say one of my favorite female protagonists is uh, Clarice Starling from Silence oh, of the Lambs. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, just a, definitely like a, a one of the early examples, well, early 80s example. There's plenty before that, but just a, a, of a woman who's like, um, she's smart, she's capable, but she is also, they're also not afraid to show her learning and, and, and making mistakes and picking up from those mistakes. Um, and luckily the movie is about that, is about a, a, a woman learning to, um, become who she is, which I really appreciate. And it didn't have to be like a super badass or it didn't have to be like, a, uh, you know, a real sexual creature. I mean, she actually is kind of sort of vaguely asexual in the movie, even though that's right. like, it's, it's, you know, she might be sexual she might not but it, it her her sexuality who she's dating is not her story now there are guys who are trying to hit on her and she very like gently rebuffs them and you can see that it's like oh this is probably speaking for a lot of women and the daily shit they have to go through right. of like dudes that hit on them and then when they don't get what they want they get real uh fucking nasty about it so uh yeah and that was just one of those like movies that I saw at the right age, the right time, and it sort of showed me, oh, okay, there's, you know, there's more to being a good actress than being able to play a mom or a hooker or a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I'll say for, for movies, um, I, 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 people might roll their eyes at this, I don't know, but as a Star Wars fan and as having a daughter who is now also a Star Wars fan, I think in Force Awakens, I think Rey is a fantastic female Character. What she's a Mary Sue. She's a dream <laughs> no. fulfillment and blah, yeah, she's blah, not. Blah. I, I think I think the decision for a series that is, I mean, obviously Princess Leia is you know is a badass and stuff, but Star Wars is very much like a boys' club and it's right. always had male leads. Um, I find that I don't know. There's so, I, maybe this is just me is like fought from father to daughter. There's something about like. I watched Star Wars when I was a kid and now I can show it to my daughter and right. she has a character that she can relate to point at. She loves Ray. She's got Ray t-shirts and it's this weird, there's this like weird meta thing where like mm -hmm. I'm Luke and she's Ray <laughs> and I'm like handing down my wisdom or something. I don't know. I, I, th th Are I you going to go kill Jedi's now, John? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I, anyway, I, whatever you think of Force Awakens, I think just the fact that you can take something as mainstream as Star Wars and make a decision of go, okay, let's put a woman in it and a person of color and they are going to be like the front of this movie. Yeah. Um, and that not even be the biggest deal in the world, you know, right. like I think I think is is great. Well, especially I, in this day and age, let me tell you. Yeah. Well, and I also want to hit that Mary Sue thing that I just I mean, because I say that as a joke, but it really annoys the piss out of me when people say that, oh, the Ray character is a wish fulfillment for women, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. Ray is the exact same character that boys have been playing for a hundred years yeah. in action movies. It's just that it's a girl. And because for folks who don't know, they call it a Mary Sue because it's like, well, she does everything well. She flies things well. She escapes things well. She does all this stuff well. And people bitch and moan. They're like, well, how did she learn to do things well? Because boys are the ones that do things well. Blah, blah, blah. 
And the reason she learned to do things well, folks, is because in her backstory, which they very, like, they force feed down your throat so you don't miss it. She's lived a, a life of shittiness, an 18-year life where she's had speaking to learn. Speaking of abandonment. Yes, yeah, speaking of <laughs> abandoning parents, which, by the way, Star Wars is a terrible place for parents. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, the worst parents in the game. If we're looking at, like, <laughs> the example of parentage, that's the worst series ever, because Han Solo <laughs> lets his kid go evil and just kind of go, whatever, I guess. that's fine, I guess. I know, and Luke uh, leaves his daughter on a planet it's oh luke doesn't have a daughter that actually is uh we'll, we'll see yeah we'll see this is a john eternal, <laughs> eternal debate between me and you want to hear john and i debate here's the <laughs> debate question ray is luke skywalker's daughter go yes uh john Argument over yes john seems to think that that's a good way to go i say that that's the way they I, seem I, to be going and i hope they don't good or bad way it is just fact well, see is, now, John. This is uh, here's. A I think it's good, but it's it's abundantly clear. That here's it's just here's a prediction, folks. If in the next movie they reveal that Ray is indeed not Luke Skywalker's daughter, you're going to hear John Longino's screams from across the world, going, "What the fuck is this bullshit? Everybody can well, change his daughter." If, it, if it's done well, I'll accept it just fine. You know, I mean, they can change their mind. I'm just saying, from <laughs> what's been put forth in Force Awakens, there is no doubt. There is lots of doubt. There's zero doubt. <laughs> because I refuse to live in a universe where Luke Skywalker abandons his daughter, goes to a planet, and fucks off for decades. Hey, man. You just explained Star Wars. This is what you do in Star Wars. He knew, like, in order to make my daughter awesome, I need to abandon Luke Skywalker her. is a hero, and he would never abandon his children like that rogue Han Solo that asshole. See, that's the thing. Han Solo deserves to die. His kid, <laughs> Han Solo, abandons his kid. Uh, you know, forget it. <laughs> I, I didn't, he deserves to die, though, because he, uh, like... Come I, on, man. I, I mean, mean, spoiler alert, folks. Han Solo doesn't No, no, it. not about spoilers. It's about, like, come on, man. It's Han Solo. I would, he could do anything. I'm never going to utter the words, Han Solo deserves to die. He, never. I don't know. There, I mean... If you're looking at it from just a pure parental, like, what were you thinking? Both him and Princess Leia, uh, I mean, their kid is obviously the self-activated terrorist and, and, you know, joins the dark side or whatever. It just seems like they give up so easy. I mean, right? Yeah, you know, he had smuggling he had to do. I mean, they just... <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't know. I mean, if there's anything about The Force Awakens that maybe puts a big question mark above my head, it's like, well, he's your son, right? I mean, you're not going to just go off and... I mean, it's the same problem I would have with, like, well, the... When your son, to me, it's like having a school shooter for a son, right? Like when your son goes and murders like 50 people, sure. maybe, maybe it gives you pause and go like, hmm, man, my son kind of sucks. But this is an action adventure movie where you maybe have a responsibility to hunt <laughs> down the demon that you've created. Sure. I mean, yeah. school shooters usually are dead or go to jail. Well, at least mom's <laughs> doing that. I mean, she is running the resistance I against suppose. her son. You know, I would I would argue that she's doing that and, and finding her son is sort of also incidental to doing that. But <laughs> She's a busy woman, all right? She's got a lot to do. She does. Cool. Well, thank you, Mia, for the uh, great question. That was awesome. Uh, my wife, John, wanted to chime in. She had a couple of questions. I suppose. She, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, well, she had a good one. This one, you're gonna. this is going to be painful for you, John. What is your favorite period or movement in movie history? You can't say 70s America or Star Wars. Okay. Well, you, she did take away the the answer. <laughs> well, 70. she knew that. So, what's the second? So the second best period, or so she means movement, just sort of like almost like you know, I'm a guard, or, yeah, or I get, French you know, New Wave, or whatever. period like, just, or just, movement. I think she's being okay. fairly loose. Are we talking decade? Or are we talking genre? 
Coming Either one, up. whatever you okay, want to define it by. Whatever, yeah. not the 70s. So what's your second favorite decade movement hmm. genre? Oh, man. Okay. It's Italian neorealism. No, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, I do like that genre, but I don't know if it's the best ever. Um, I don't know. Like French New Wave, maybe? Oh, yeah? Okay. It's pretty good. I mean, yeah. wait, is that the... Hmm, that's like the 60s, right? Well, okay. I mean, that's... I mean, you can... I think it can be in that decade it just can't be like the whole decade of the 70s every movie in it awesome yeah. i think she's talking about like new hollywood like easy writers oh you like, know what i take throw a french new wave in the trash what am i talking about it's the 90s it's the independent film 90s interesting for okay. that that's that was sort of like a resurgence of kind of what was going on in the 70s right a little bit um yeah i'd say like you know your tarantinos and your david finchers and you know just like uh, even kevin smith i think could fall right. into that category um yeah, I, I think that especially mid to late 90s movies, some of the, man, they're good. Yeah, there are some amazing... You know, early 90s too, what am I talking yeah. about? Just the whole, the, the good 90s movies are good. Yeah, well, when it starts with Tarantino, and when the decade starts with Tarantino and sort of ends with Fincher and yeah. uh, Spike Jones, I mean, you know, it's it, that's a pretty decent decade. Well, now that you've said it, I can't say it, so I will go... I will say that, like, movement for me, I have very much gotten into um, movie... Uh, film noir and uh crime movies especially Absolutely. like earlier crime movies i mean i always like crime movies but there's just been something i've been sort of studying noir and neo-noir a lot more in the last few years and just there's something about the style of noir that just has has really um gotten under my skin and and i feel like noir and westerns are like flip sides of the same coin because like people will like say oh westerns it's like they either say oh they're very like morally black and white or they're like oh no they're like very morally great and i think that film noir is kind of the same way it's like well it's black and white and you know and but morally gray i mean i think there's a lot of like westerns like the dude comes to town and cleans up the town it's like film noir it's like the dude comes to town and robs it blind it's i just uh <laughs> there's something about it's this great. yeah the style of film noir that's just and especially the earlier ones like pre-code ones where you like watch it and you you know if i if i had watched it as a teenager or even maybe an early 20 something i would have looked at it and go ah boring or whatever but you look at it with like older eyes and go oh they're being really super subversive in the way that they could be and they're being really Definitely. nasty and you know you don't see like people getting gored alive on screen usually but it's like they talk about like ah eh, we took him to the 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 pier and cut off his thumbs and drowned him with the fishes and you're like <laughs> well you don't see it but the description right. like jesus these guys are awful and you just the the brutality and the violence and the the coldness of people and just the you know the just how these people are all like human trash <laughs> it's just amazing to me like i i think for me a switch was really flipped uh when i was at usc film school and i saw uh two movies i saw t-men which I, I don't really remember but i just remember looking and going oh okay that's interesting because it was the first time they sort of contextualized film noir for me and then at home i saw double indemnity and i was like holy shit that movie's pretty good that movie is like well that's transcendent I'll, we've I'll, talked about it a million times so it's certainly i'll even take a moment to it, in the same vein of film noir uh, i'm a huge fan of german expressionism oh okay yeah. certainly the visual style of film noir came yeah. from but all those like you know cabinet to dr caligari and even right. like something like nosferatu or whatever like i, I those old movies yeah I think just, are great. well the, the fucking nightmare fuel of all those oh, movies absolutely. I, the darkness and i say that literally because i would often like i would see those i saw those movies at film school also but it was like the 8 a.m uh, uh 
class. So I'd go in exhausted because I'd stay wow. up all night the night before, and I'd wa- you know, we'd be watching the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I'd fall asleep and have like micro nightmares, <laughs> and then wake up and go, oh, shit. Oh, oh my God, it's worse because it's still like going. like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, good job, Germans. All right, my wife has another one. Romantic comedies are often so shitty, but when they're great, <laughs> At least she admits it. they really hit. Which ones do you guys love that you're pretty sure would or wouldn't hold up? Like, I love me some 90s rom-coms, but I haven't seen them in years for fear they would disappoint. And I'm always curious to hear which ones guys are into. Mm. We, we sort of got into this a bit when Ali came on the show when yes. we did Shakespeare in Love. We talked a bit about romantic comedies and my hatred for them. <laughs> Um, I think I even said this when we did that episode, but the first one that always pops in my mind is Annie Hall. I, right. That's certainly a romantic film, right. but uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I would say uh, I like the Annie Hall clone when Harry met Sally more right. myself because I saw it first. But I then saw Annie Hall later in life and go, oh, I see where they got. I, I can't uh, un unlove my movie, certainly. but but Annie Hall has certainly got there first and, and much probably better. But <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of because I don't like romantic comedies all that much either. But I feel like if they're done, like I mean, I know you hate it. I'd say High Fidelity is pretty good. High Fidelity is pretty certainly good. Certainly one. Yeah. I like Jerry Maguire. I know oh, you hate it. No. Um, no. But Jer- well, here's the thing about Jerry Maguire. I don't know if we've talked about this before. Apologies if we have. To me, Jerry Maguire uh, is a flawed film, but I really like that it raises questions that no other romantic comedy raises, which is like, what happens when you rush into a romance yeah. for maybe not the best reasons? What happens what after happens that? What happens when douchebags fall in love? That's, well, <laughs> I mean, I that's think the question I I like really that question. Well, I like the question yeah. of like, okay, now you're married to somebody. And the thing I like is it's not like, well, they're abusing each other or they're being mean to each other. It's just they're not sure. clicking. What do you do my, now? My feelings on Jeremy Maguire, and I'll, I'll be as brief as I can, is is the, <laughs> the reason I strongly dislike that movie isn't necessarily because of the solely because of its contents. Although I guess you could say the reason I don't like that movie is you, you know how like um, in in the late '90s I was at a movie theater and they handed out a questionnaire <laughs> about what do you want to see in a movie, right? Uh, for some reason, this is when I was in Atlanta and I fill it out and it's just like, what do you want to see? Do you want to see sports? Do you want to see kids? Do you want to see baseball? Do you want to see a romance? Do you want to see like, and then my opinion of Jerry Maguire is like, it is a movie chemically engineered to please as many human beings as conceivably possible. It's the most like mass appealing, shameless, just shameless, like bullshit movie of like, how many people can we get to like this movie? Oh, you like cute little kids with a lisp or whatever. Like, Oh, we got him. Harry, here's this fucking lip Nicky piece of shit. Who's going to talk to home. Hey man, you like, fo- Hey, Oh dudes, you brought your lady to this movie, but don't worry, bro. We got you covered. Cause fucking football. Bro. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh, the one, Oh, hey, wife, don't walk out just yet. Because look, oh, uh, you know, this lady's going to powder lips and be all mad. That, you know, <laughs> it's just a bullshit movie to please everybody. It's like fucking terrible. It's like just the most crap, like pop music piece of shit movie. Uh, it, nothing, not an original bone in his whole body. It's just like, I don't know. I, I <laughs> See, this whole show is worth it for that rant alone <laughs> that's why because i see what's really going on in jerry Maguire, which is just like please like me or oh, wow. here's something for you well i can't i i will 
I think Cameron Crowe actually has that universally. Yes, I hate Cameron Crowe. Like, I hate. I know Cameron you Crow. do. And say anything is actually one of those. I, that I wouldn't. Movie's, that movie's okay. That's not a romantic comedy, though. I think that's. I mean, there's comedic. But that's elements, only good because like John Cusack is great. And I, I, can't, I think of most people, I've, most of that movie is pretty great. There's not like just one thing about it that's great. No, what I mean is like, I like John Cusack okay. so much, maybe even a little too much, <laughs> that say anything gets a pass. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, John Cusack, sorry, he's good. But I do think Cameron Crowe's movies tend to have a please like me quality to them that yes. sometimes it gets over and sometimes lately and, and it, it doesn't. And it always has that horse shit like, hey, remember this song? Hey, that thing you like, remember? It's like a fucking like car commercial it's just shameless <laughs> like hey hey man i like bob dylan too what do you say like oh <laughs> fuck that shit El- uh, i can't even stand like he's ruined elton john for me like just ruined elton wow. john if i hear another fucking person want to sing along to tiny dancer i'm gonna punch him in the face like it's so annoying that uh, john hold me close <laughs> yo <laughs> no. fuck that plane should have crashed that's all i'm saying oh man <laughs> well, I think that answers that question sufficiently. <laughs> Sorry. I get, I, remember what I said earlier about it's okay. People can have different opinions. And I take it back. That's bullshit. Cameron <laughs> Crowe sucks. Anyway. Really? No, it's fine. All right. Uh, what makes a movie truly watchable? What kinds of movies do you admire but ultimately feel like selfish or extremely narrow exercises? When it comes down to the average Netflix search to relax after a hard day, what kinds of movies do you really watch? And what kinds do you wish you really chose? Uh, so this is sort of like, do you wish you watched really heady, thoughtful, well-made movies versus kind of popcorn trash that you just kind of <laughs> right. watch to get through the day? Well, this is, I think this is along the lines of the, my wife and I have this thing where it's like, well, there's the, your favorite movies or, or the movies you would put in your top 10. And then there's the movies that you really actually watch all the time. Like I would love, sure. like I've talked about like, oh, Back to the Future and Glengarry Glenn Ross. These are my favorite movies. But when I sit down and like, oh, I just need to pop something in to have in the background. Usually it's like rounders or shattered glass. <laughs> I, I see what you're so saying. So I'm guessing it's along those lines. Well, I sort of have a caveat and then I, there's a whole subgenre of film that I watch for fun that it's not good. <laughs> but something like I would say, you know, I would say like, oh, Godfather an amazing film but if i'm gonna sit down and, and i have an hour and a half and i just want to turn my brain off i'm putting in like roadhouse you know right <laughs> <laughs> there's a quality to roadhouse that like i wouldn't say like what a bad movie like there's something there right of of just shamelessly unapologetically bad like right but in a way that's great like the whole um you know like good bad thing yeah. is something that is is to me like it's a fine wine it's hard like a lot of people try to do it right and it's not good but you know every now and then you pop open a roadhouse and you're like oh man this is <laughs> this is really something i think the 80s slash early 90s had that th- and it's the fine wine part comes in i think this they were trying to make good movies and did not succeed the way they thought they succeeded right but it's not like i'm Bored. Right. It's not like, oh, what a bad movie. I'm bored. Like, that is a oddly watchable bad movie. Like, there's right. something, there's like a third, it's like umami or something. Like, there's like <laughs> some like flavor that I cannot, like, there's good and then there's bad. 
and then there's like Roadhouse. I don't right. know where that is. It's somewhere in there. Yeah, and I feel like the the genre of so bad it's good and like seeking out like deliberately bad movies. I don't know. There's there's something to that that doesn't appeal the same way as as it did when I was a youngster. But like like you say, the Roadhouse and I don't know. There's a lot of movies well, I, in that. I, yeah, because I'm not talking about oh this is a piece of shit and we're just gonna like crack wise throughout it. I'm right. talking about Mystery Science Theater. Like we're watching Manos or something. Like right. Like I. If you ask me, like, do you sincerely, unironically like Roadhouse? Like, I might, I have to sit, like, I don't know the answer. It's, it's like, <laughs> crossed over into this, like, it, I, I like it. Like, I recognize it's terrible, but, like, I legitimately like it. And I think that's what Ali's sort of getting at. It's like right. that. It's like junk food, you know? It's right. just like, oh, man, it tastes fucking great. You know it's terrible. <laughs> right. But you're like, man, this is great. But I think, I, I mean, a movie like that, it was it was a part of a, like, just a, a, an assembly line of movies that came out at that time. Because they can't do that now. If you tried to make Roadhouse now, there would be, like, a wink or a... It would be too self-aware. Yeah, it's all, there was a point where, like, in the 80s, people just were... I don't know if they were so coked up or what. They just Probably. didn't realize <laughs> how far over the bend they'd gotten. Well, yeah, you could have a shirtless man standing in a lake doing, like, Tai Chi or whatever and, and ripping a guy's throat out and, right. like, not be a joke. Like, it's... Or is it? I don't know. I mean, I remember seeing it at the time and knowing that it was like, this went somewhere it i mean it was stupid there was like i mean the fact that he was like well he had a doctorate in philosophy or some yeah. shit but he's bouncing people from a fucking roadhouse and he's zen about everything yet he lives on a lake and like i mean there was just this weird like this it's not even a cartoon it doesn't exist in any reality and yet you know it's what? this weird perfect 80s reality <laughs> it Sounds like we need to watch Roadhouse soon. That's all I'm saying. I guess so. I, I, might, we've we we've mentioned it a few back. times in the last couple months. We gotta see. We gotta. We gotta put the science to it. Yeah, we gotta. You know, put the screws to it <laughs> once and for good. Uh, okay. Any other uh, movies that you watch for? For fun or for... What do you search for when you come home? Uh, honestly, if I'm going to turn my brain off, I'm not watching a movie. Uh, okay. When I watch something... Uh, movies are very sacred to me, despite my love of Roadhouse and dumbass <laughs> things. Like, usually if I'm going to watch a movie, I, it's like a... Almost like a religious ceremony. I'm like, okay, we're watching a movie. Turn the lights down. Everybody shut the fuck up. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm in. Right. Uh, if I'm just, like, brainless, like, watching trash, I'll watch, like, really bad TV. Right. I'll watch like MTV's Are You the One or something like <laughs> if I'm going to wallow in the muck like I'm diving into the dirt <laughs> so I don't really do this like eh, I'm watching a movie but just kind of not really watching the movie like when I'm watching a movie I'm like 100% paying attention yeah I, I think that's something that in the evolution of you know wireless media and you know tablets and things like that I don't there's a lot of people who will watch ah, I'm just going to turn on my phone and watch this random movie or oh, I'm going to have this movie on in the background or you know it's part of that like oh I'm just going to turn on the cable and flip to a channel and see what happens i never did that and so now yeah. like i don't usually come home and say okay let's search the netflix i mean i usually watch with intent there's like there's Absolutely. 50 things that i want to watch what do i pluck from yeah, the I, list i don't think i passively watch anything like i'm not one of those like my phone's out and i'm like surfing and half paying attention like like I, it's down and I'm in, and yeah. I think that is just because it's so sacred to me. Even like I joke, even are you the one? MTV's <laughs> are you the one? I'm like intensely watching and like <laughs> trying to figure out like who's who's match. You know, like I, yeah, and maybe that's just our nature. I think that's why we get along so well. I think right. we have a similar you know kind of respect for <laughs> the viewing of of media. Right. 
Well, it's probably why we're editors, to be honest. Right. I was going to say we're probably watching a little too closely. Uh, and I believe that is the end of the questions and, and oh, letters. Wow. And, and, and the the what outside. An I know. But there's still more, folks. Oh, yes. The questions. Uh, so that- this is uh, part two of the grab bag, which is uh, John and I have prepped things for each other, but we don't know what they are. You want me to go first? Yeah. Why don't you go first? And we'll, right. we'll finish with me. So. John Longino. Yes. Why is Rogue One the best Star Wars movie? Use examples. <laughs> show your work. Um, I'm going to fail this class. <laughs> wow, you really want... Okay. I, I put him on the spot, folks. All right, all he right. He doesn't all right. really like Rogue One all well, that here, much. It's a, it's a very complicated question. I'll try to be as brief as I can. <laughs> However, I just wanted to see you rant. You have, you, well, you will. Because one, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're talking about Star Wars, which to me is very... I, I, I joke about... Um, movies as some sort of like religious uh ceremony (laughs) and paying attention but um star Star wars is very important to me i think it's the closest thing to like a religion that i have not that i think the force is real or anything but like (laughs) it it feels sacred to me so i take it very seriously and i could you know and um I've, i've obviously been very hesitant about like oh they're making new movies hopefully they'll be good um, I really liked Force Awakens a lot. Not that it's flawless. It definitely has some problems, but I really liked it. But I I, um, I didn't hate Rogue One, but I entered into it with this buzz about it that I feel like that movie was received very strongly and very well by most people I know as, as sort of this, like, incredible film. I think, I mean... To bust in for a second, I think the thing about Rogue One that's interesting about it is it's the Star Wars for people who don't have their feet completely into Star Wars. I I would say that like people who are like, yeah, I know Star Wars because I grew up with it, but I didn't like get every toy or or watch the movies obsessively. I knew it the way it, it, it appeared in pop culture. And I think right. a lot of people have saw Rogue One and they're like, oh, it's like Star Wars, but with a kind of different, maybe more modern sensibility, you know, or a, a maybe a more modern filmmaking style that right. I mean, let's I, the thing about Star Wars, it's great is they are trying to match a style that George Lucas created, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And it's done a very good job of keeping consistent with that. But that does kind of stick it in a time and place and leave it there. Right. Which Where, to me is sort of like required. Like, right. like, like it, for yeah. me, for something to be a Star Wars movie, it needs to feel and be like Star Wars, which I know isn't the case for most people. But for me, it's like, it'd be like going to a different church and being like, what the f- <laughs> wait, wait, you're doing the prayers like this. I got to go. Right. You know, like, well, the thing I like about it is like the Star Wars church is like, it's an old church. It's like a ramshackle church, yep. but your dad went here and your granddad <laughs> exactly. went here and it's kind of, it's run down, but we keep it good. You know, we try and patch up the holes and stuff. Uh, Rogue One to me is like, it's like like, Scientology. It's like, (laughs) well, to me, it's like a shack that's like falling apart. The thing I kind of like about it is it's kind of really rough around the edges. Um, and the style is very rough around the edges, which I think it stands out style wise. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, just to, to butt in for a second, for me, none of my issues are style issues. Like, I, I think visually it's it's a fantastic looking movie. Right. It's very exciting and it's set piece and actions and it has like a quite a huge amount of combat and battle All, to me. So I walked out of Rogue One sort of lukewarm on it. I didn't hate it. But I didn't like it really that much either. <laughs> like, I was just sort of neutral on it. Like, and to me, its biggest downfall is that I didn't give a shit about <laughs> anybody in the movie, really. I liked the kind of samurai force guy because he was the closest touchstone I had to what, like, 
real Star Wars is to me. Like right. he had a reverence and respect for the Force. Literally, all he talked about was the Force. <laughs> right. He was a fucking samurai, which is cool because, like, you know, Star Wars just kind of has roots in samurai films and all that. So I liked that it's like they just literally put a samurai in. Like right. that that part I loved. Um, he was the only one I liked. I thought the leads were just like straight up boring and bad and stilted. <laughs> and this is honestly, this is a, this is a criticism of just sort of Gareth Edwards and his films in general. Like he's a very much a director focused on visuals and aesthetic and stuff. Mm. Well, with primarily with Godzilla and then also with Rogue One, uh, ironically enough, his first film monsters is all about, a what if a monster movie was actually about the characters and not about the monster. Right. And it's actually pretty quite good. Right. Um, cause I care about the characters in monsters. Right. Um, and they're acted really well. And so I don't know what the fuck happened when like, he just, he like <laughs> abandoned that philosophy. And then just even in, well, our, even in Godzilla, we're like, okay, we don't, it's not about like, Godzilla. It's about these people. I love Brian Cranston. And then as soon as he's out of the movie, like everyone sucks. <laughs> so you're like, well, I don't care about any of these people and all I have are them. And I don't even have Godzilla. I was like, Ugh. but anyway, rogue one to me, it lives or dies by the cast. Like if right. I don't care about the caper and the people doing it, I was just, I just wasn't invested emotionally. Mm. And weirdly enough, all of the criticisms that people had about the force awakens about be, it being a rehash about it being like a nostalgia festival about it. Just sort of like only living in the old star Wars, right? Which I, there is some of that. But I feel like Force Awakens actually pulls Star Wars forward in a way mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And it has like sort of it takes those old themes and then has like angles on them, you know, right. like Kylo Ren and, and Ray and Finn and all this. Like I love the characters. They got really well. Um, Rogue One is a fucking like toy box. Like it's <laughs> literally just like, hey, remember this guy? Hey, remember Grandma Tarkin? Hey, remember Darth Vader? Hey, remember, you know, this guy is kind of like Admiral Akbar, but not really. It's it's <laughs> it's just a yay, Vader, we like and it's like way more like a nostalgia bullshit festival right. than like Force Awakens was. Yet somehow that's not a criticism. Everyone's right. like, oh this movie's great. And some of the scenes are just straight up like trash. Like <laughs> All the like Grand Moff Tarkin CG nightmare stuff like that's horrible. See, I was so like when when you see Grand Moff Tarkin in the shadows, I saw what they were doing because I was like, okay, they don't sure. have him. They've got a CGI guy. If they kept him in the shadows, I thought I would have been a hundred percent on board with bringing him back. The, but they trotted him out and like put the lights like right up to him and said, "Look, look how slick the CGI." <laughs> you know, they showed off. I felt like that was their downfall. There is like I like the Grand Moff Tarkin character being relevant in this because it makes sense that he would be relevant in this. But I, I think that like. Unlike where, like, okay, Princess Leia shows up for two seconds and then she's gone. Sure. It's like, you can forgive that. It's like when Grand Moff Tark Tarkin is talking and you're like, I I can see the seams. I see where he's not real. You know, you're looking for, you know, you know what you're looking for. I don't know. There's something about that that they didn't get quite right by pulling him out of the darkness. And they missed a trick just by pulling him out of the dark anyway. He's a dark character. And it's like, keep him in the shadows yeah. where you can hide the seams and, you know, hide the zipper on the monster mask. And, and he can be scary and great and he most of the stuff he said anyway wasn't all that like yeah. necessary I, honestly not to mention that the like Darth Dracula scene that's in the middle of the movie is like literally prequel movie bad oh yeah that like, was bad it is super terrible that was like, bad but I do like I mean I think they used Darth Vader well otherwise 
Yeah, later, when he's just a force coming in, like, with a lightsaber kicking ass, that's fine. The trouble is they just, I mean, I feel like I wanted my main characters to go up against him because, like, what is this movie for if not, like, to have them fight Darth sure. Vader? <laughs> well, that's the problem. Uh, to me, that's another sin of the movie is the whole, I love the idea of, like, oh, let's see how they stole the Death Star plans. Right. But they make the mistake of making the battle for that the most um, over-the-top, insane battle that's ever been fought in the history of the galaxy like <laughs> See, i don't mind that like it cannot be bigger than like the death star battle like that's just fucking stupid like <laughs> like i'm sorry like like i like i would like lower stakes to be honest i would love that's interesting i would take all the the fanfare away and i would love more time of like okay here's the, i got so lost in like what's the plan who's doing what mm. i it, like to me it's criminal that it's like a heist movie right how on earth do you not have like okay you're you will be doing this and you're going to be doing this and this is what we're doing and like it, you know a little more like espionage right and a little less like like the main characters during all the commotion like in 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 original Star Wars, Luke Skywalker is piloting the ship that blows up the Death Star, and he right. is in the middle of the action. Could not be more important. These clowns are like going to a database and like pulling a hard drive out, occasionally seeing somebody doing like basically nothing, while like <laughs> a bunch of faceless, nameless soldiers do all of the crazy fighting. It's right. just like stupid, you know. <laughs> to me, the heist it should be like Mission Impossible. Right. It should be like that scene with Tom Cruise hanging. Like like it's like the stakes of the world need to be on what they are doing, not the like light show happening outside that has nothing to do with them. I think that's just a bad decision. Nice. Very eloquently yes. put. I like anyway, that. I, so I don't hate Rogue One, but I have grown to hate it because the more and more people like put it up on a pedestal, I've literally li multiple people have to my face said that they thought it was the best Star Wars movie and better than the original Star Wars movie. And I that is like <laughs> insane. Like that that is a statement worthy of execution. Like it's it's Jesus. nuts to think that. Like absolutely not. So uh, I guess I have a follow up question that I just thought of. If I mean, and I I have this trouble myself. Star Wars being one of the most like important movie series in your life. There are eight movies now. What do you do when half of those movies aren't good? Oh, and not even that. In in a couple of decades, like most of them will be not good. Well, that's, I, yeah, that like we were saying, it's like yeah. this is a drop in the bucket compared to how bad some of them will be. I mean, where I'm at is I'm sort of in for the mainstay sequel films, mm -hmm. like Ray and Finn and all. And they've been set up enough to where like I'm going to see that story through and I will be invested. Okay, but there will be a diminishing returns on my excitement. And I think when we get into things like the Han Solo movie or whatever random <laughs> slight nostalgia stuff right. that they're shamelessly throwing out to make a buck at, I, I'm not I, like Rogue One has already to me. That was the one that had the most promise. Right. Like the concept was like, oh, wow, that's that's really interesting. That's stealing of the Death Star plans. Like, right. I'm in. Let's see what you got. And the fact that that didn't really wow me to me says like, oh, it's only getting worse from here. Like right. I think. But I'll, I love Star Wars. I'm going to take it as like, you know, to me real star wars will now be the original movies and as long as they keep up the the i think the sequel i think force awakens earned its spot at the table as like this is a star real star wars movie right in my opinion um hopefully they continue on that path and but these sideshow things like they're cool but to me it's just different it's not going to be 
the Bible. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to be the Apocrypha. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, Davy and Goliath or something. <laughs> like that's, it's like, oh, it's neat, but whatever. See, the interesting thing is you talk about the, you know, the Han Solo movie coming out. And, and I think, interestingly, it's like you, like you say, Rogue One has come out and it could have, you know, shot the moon and been great and maybe fell short. Uh, and so now they're like, well, the Han Solo movie, that'll that'll definitely do it. I kind of feel like Rogue One just shows, like, you know what? Actually, Rogue One and Force Awakens both show that, like, you know what? This universe could use more expanding than, like... I would, I would agree. Focusing on the... I, I, maybe even the problem with Rogue One is, like, well, again, that's a story you know. I like Rogue One quite right. a bit, actually. But um, I, I can see that, like it might just be more fun. It might just be a better thing to just be like, okay, let's expand outward. Let's go to a planet that has no idea what's happening with the empire. That's the stuff in rogue one that I really liked is like these little, these, plan these planets we hadn't seen yet. These, these experiences we hadn't had yet. That was always the thing that made star Wars more interesting was like, Oh my God, first they're on a desert. Oh my God. That's uh, Oh, now they're on an all snow planet. That's crazy. Just the environments and like yeah. what this, I would love smaller stories. Yeah. Smaller, less stake filled stories. You know, I, I, like I would love to see a movie that's like, you know, those like it's kind of like that book, like Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina. Yeah, right. Like I would totally go for honestly, like Star Wars might need like a TV series or something that, right. that has nothing to do with like it's like the the war of the rebellion is ancillary and in the background to, you know, the heist of whatever's going on, I think would be great. Right. Yeah. No, I would actually love to see like a bounty hunters movie. Well, now that I say that, that's that's what I want to see. I want to see a bounty, a Star Wars bounty hunters movie, because <laughs> I think that would be the it's like you say, it's like, well, the the war is going on, but then there's just people out there trying to make a buck. And what are their personalities? Yeah. And you can do what you want. Like they can live, they can die. The adventure can be. It doesn't have to be kind of squeezed into the, the the pattern or the hole that, you know, Star Wars has left for it. So and maybe that's where Rogue One either benefits or suffers. I don't know. I like Rogue One. Hey, but you get me talking about Star Wars. We're going to go on I, for I, quite, quite a while. <laughs> I asked the question for a reason. All right. Hit me with yours. OK. Well, so mine is less a question and more. I thought I thought it'd be a nice thing to end on where uh, I could introduce both you and the listeners at home to a little game that I used to play with friends that I thought would be fun uh, for you and me to do. Um, so uh, this game is something that... So uh, long ago, before cell phones and before people could just kind of tune out and look at their phones, uh, we had to pass the time <laughs> in ways where we it was just us and that's it. And so you had to learn to do things with friends to just kind of kill time. And one of the things that I ended up doing with many of my friends, both in college and, and after was a little something maybe familiar to you. I don't know. It's called the movie game, or at least that's what we called it. But it's a little game. Have you ever heard of like, you know, like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Right. Or something. So it's similar to that. Okay. But you take that concept and then you apply it to the basketball game of a horse. <laughs> and you have the movie game. So it goes okay. as such. Someone starts by either naming an actor or film. And then the next person has to name either another movie that person was in or another actor within that movie. And then it goes back and forth. Uh, right. Like, so I, if I say Marlon Brando, you say the Godfather, you know, and then right. I say Al Pacino or whatever, you know, and then we, we just keep going until someone can't say anything. Well, either this is going to make this podcast four times as long or it's going to be <laughs> well, we'll over see. real quick. So so if you are unable to supply an answer, you get a letter. Right? Okay. And so traditionally you would get it was spelled like horse. You would spell M-O-V-I-E. And once you were in movie, 
you were out of the game. And this was sort of a last man standing thing. <laughs> or, right. And whoever was left was the king of the movie game. Now, we're not going to go the movie because that would be ridiculous. So we'll go to M.O. M.O. First to M.O. How about, about H.U. for hold up? Okay, H.U. We got H.U. <laughs> for hold up. Uh, there's a few minor uh, rules to this game that I should state. Right. One is that you cannot receive a letter on the initial movie uh, that someone names. So I couldn't, I couldn't begin with like something incredibly obscure that you've never seen Got it. just to like burn you for just a letter. Just to fuck me? All you right. have to get the ball rolling. Okay. The other rule is a challenge rule. So if you can't think of anything, you can look to me and you can say challenge and the other person then has to name something. Got it. And if they can't, they get the letter instead of you. Okay. So that uh, that also is sort of... Th these are sort of rules to make sure that, you know, the game <laughs> is done nicely and stuff. Uh, to not try to, like, burn... So the spirit of it is you're not, you're not trying to, like, get the other person with like, right. something super hard. You're just kind of playing. Got it. Although n many friends of mine would would not play that way a, a lot of a lot, this got really vicious like people would actually have movies that they'd like try to get into the conversation to like burn someone on it anyway any questions i think i get it i think i get it h-u so h-u all right so here i'll begin okay and so unfortunately since there's only two of us and there's not a lot of us we're someone's gonna have movies and someone's gonna have actors but we can we can change it as we go got it so we'll do um all right here we go you ready yeah all right we're talking about star wars so the force awakens Harrison Ford. Okay. Um, uh, the Fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Coal Miner's Daughter. Sissy Spacek. Carrie. John Travolta. Pulp Fiction. Samuel L. Jackson. Deep Blue Sea. I have no idea who else was in that movie. Challenge. LL Cool J. Oh. Well... Okay. All right. You take I, an H. I got an H. Okay. So now, now you begin here. Oh man. Um, oh, Forrest Gump. Okay. Um, Tom Hanks. Philadelphia. Denzel Washington. Man on Fire. Oh no. Um, I haven't seen that movie. Fuck. Challenge. Oh, is it Dakota Fanning? Is that her name? Oh, the, is she, is, oh, is that the one where the girls kidnapped her? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I, yes, I believe you're right. I just you didn't got remember. an H. There you go. That's good. All right, here we go. All right, one one. Jesus, it's for all the marbles. Oh no, <laughs> this went quicker than I thought. I know, I know. Um, okay, we are going to go with a night at the Roxbury. Uh, Will Ferrell. Okay. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jason Mewes. Oh man, <laughs> not a lot of options here. <laughs> um, Zach and Mary make a porno. Seth Rogen. Knocked up. Catherine Heigl. Oh geez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Um, I know she's been other shit. I don't just haven't seen any of it. It's like literally they're all romantic comedies. I'm like desperately trying. This is the genre I know nothing of. <laughs> you got yourself into this God trap. Damn it, Catherine Heigl. Um, fuck. I challenge. I don't know. Oh, it was. Uh, what other? I have to name a movie now. Y yeah, that Catherine Heigl is it. Now it's on you. Uh, is it the breakup? That she's is in she in there? Gerard Butler? I, yeah, I think is, you're right. That, I will have to look it up because I don't, I don't know any of these fucking movies she's in either. Oh, man. If John is wrong. God. I get it. Let us see. 
Oh shit. Okay, John. Yeah. The breakup is Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. Oh, okay. Catherine Heigl was in Gerard Butler's movie, The Ugly Truth. Ah, yes. So the, the ugly, ugly truth of this matter is that you lose the movie game. You have H.U. Uh, it's definitive. Barely. I know more movies than you do. Barely. It's barely. official. Bullshit. Thank you, Catherine Heigl. This is horseshit. Win. I demand a <laughs> recount. If I lose, I demand a recount. <laughs> Uh, All right. The, All right. the well, voting here, system here, we'll, is uh, flawed. Okay. Here's a recap. Okay, I have H, and you have H U. So you you lose. This, well, you this piece of paper you're pointing at actually just has two H's on it. Uh, well, <laughs> the, the actual truth of the matter is that the first one we did, I flubbed so bad we had to retake it. So, <laughs> so really, uh, so technically we, uh, we both lose. Yeah, we both. Well, <laughs> you know who really loses? The audience. It's true. <laughs> they have. Uh, now that they've been here for seven hours listening to this <laughs> lovely grab bag of ours. Well, I think we finally absolutely crossed the finish line. On the, ba- the bag is empty now. Oh, We've thank Christ! Pull it out. Woo. Well, right. feel free to fill it up again, folks. We love getting your uh, emails, letters, Instagram notes, anything that you want to send us. You can uh, write us at holduppodcast at gmail Go to holduppodcast.com for any of your um, social media needs. We're going to put some photos of today up on Instagram. Us looking exhausted. Um, oh yes very <laughs> hot and sweaty Ooh, and exhausted yeah, it's in hot this. in this room um, <laughs> yes thank you so much for listening and until next time nobody move nobody gets hurt nobody move